Welcome to the Rise Up Live Free podcast, where we're going to be giving you the exact blueprint to reach financial freedom in 10 years or less, regardless of your age, your income, or your experience. You see, we believe that 97% of traditional financial advice is dangerous, misleading, or outright wrong. And we're here to empower you on how you can use money and cash flow as a tool to create, build, and live a life you love now rather than having to wait until you're 65. If you're ready to take immediate action, join us over at cashflowtactics.com forward slash podcast. This is this is a new experience for me, my man. Um, we are recording the Rise Up Live Free podcast on my personal timeline and Jimmy's personal timeline on Facebook. So if you're my Facebook friends, you get the privilege, the opportunity to either mute me right now or listen to uh, the Rise Up Live Free podcast on my Facebook page with my man, Jimmy Vreeland. Jimmy, you want to say what's up to everybody? What up? Heck I yeah. love so, our late night podcast. Late night podcast, man. It's been a while. It's been a little while since you and I have been on the microphone together. So this is going to be a fun one. What are we going to be talking about tonight, Jimmy? The man, the myth, the legend. A big <laughs> influence on cash flow tactics. Uh, Jordan Peterson. Yeah. Uh, Ryan, uh, Ryan went and saw him last week. Yeah. You know, it was, it was really fun when, uh, when I heard. So for those of you that don't know, um, since this is on the personal Facebook page here, um, look, we, we have a company called Castro Tactics and the whole intention, the whole uh, drive behind Castro Tactics is to empower people with a principle-based approach to money. I mean, you can see right behind me, the sign says, rise up, take control so that you can live free. And I think, you know, one of the reasons that both you and I like Jordan Peterson so much, Jimmy, is he, he goes in and he helps you identify the principles um, required to live a successful life. And I've always found a lot of personal power and personal certainty in knowing absolute truths, you know, principles that when I find myself and my life off track in, you know, different areas of my life, if I know the principle required for success, I can simply exercise my freedom and ask myself a question. Do I want to do the work necessary to realign myself with the principle to get the result that the principle leads to? If not, I'll just stay stuck and cycling in my life. And, you know, I think Jordan is a phenomenal uh, lecturer, phenomenal psychologist at helping break down human psychology and realign that psychology with fundamental, universal, applicable principles. Would you agree with that? That is one of my favorite things about him is it's completely principle-based. He takes out, um, I, you know, what's the right phrase? He takes out all the agendas. He doesn't really have an agenda, except he's trying to figure out, he's just trying to figure things out. Yeah. You know, I was, I was kind of surprised on Sunday, Jimmy. I was going back and I was reviewing my notes from the Jordan, uh, Jordan Peterson lecture because I was taking notes, you know, in there while he was talking. And I've never you know, Googled Jordan Peterson before, but I Googled some of the topics that he was, you know, discussing. And for as much love as Jordan Peterson has, and I think this, this happens to anyone that's willing to put themselves on the line and stand up for truth for as much love as Jordan Peterson have, which I love Jordan Peterson. Um, there was a lot of hate online, a lot of people calling him a fraudster, a lot of people calling him a manipulator, a lot of people calling him dishonest, you know, and all kinds of different names. And why I didn't, you know, entertain and, and try to even go down the rabbit holes of why these people were, uh, were so, you know, blatantly angry at Jordan Peterson, it, it, it did bring up a very interesting, stark uh, difference between 
people who are willing to accept truth and people for whatever reason who will reject truth. And I think this is becoming super evident in our world and our culture today. And, well, it's, and not, it highlights it, that. it's not accepting or denying truth, Ryan. It's accepting or denying the party line, the yeah. approved thoughts that can now be spoken of in 2022. Yeah. And do you think we should back up for the audience if they have, if they've been living in a cave and haven't <laughs> heard of Jordan Peterson, should we say, you know, say who yeah. he is? Why don't you give him some context? Yeah. So Jordan Peterson, um, he is a clinical psychologist. He was a um, professor of psychology at the University of Toronto. And he kind of blew up on the scene like 2015 or 16, because in Canada, they had a law compelling speech around um, the trans community. Like they were going to say, you had to use these pronouns, you had to do these things. And Peterson came out very publicly. He's like, you know, don't have any issues with the trans community, but you will not compel my speech. Mm. In Western society, freedom of speech is so vitally important that I will not adhere to any law that compels speech. And so he just, after that, he blew up, um, you know, like because of what you said, because of lovers and haters. And then he he had already written one book called Maps of Meeting, which is I am a quarter of the way through. And to get a quarter of the way through, it took me six months. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, just, I just bought that book after coming back from this lecture. <laughs> bro, because I would read a page and I would either fall asleep because it was so dense or I would I just like this is this is really, really dense. So I, I did the audiobook. I got through the audiobook and. The book is absolutely phenomenal, but it is the more palatable books are definitely 12 rules for life and um, beyond order, beyond order. Yeah. So, guys, um, if you're interested at all in, in the real psychology, uh, the real principles behind what we talk about tonight, uh, go go pick up those books. They're phenomenal. And, and Jordan Peterson's on tour right now. He just came through Salt Lake a couple of days ago, and I thought it was really cool. Um, just to give you a little bit of context of how he did his lecture here in Salt Lake, Jimmy, because I'm curious on how he did it out there for you. Um, but he was here in Salt Lake and I guess Senator Mike Lee met him backstage and they were having a conversation backstage, you know, an hour or so leading up to him coming on stage. Yep. And that conversation sparked Jordan to change his topic of discussion for that night, for night's presentation. And his daughter came on stage and introduced him before, before the lecture. And she, what she said is he prepares something new with, you know, in every city he goes to a different lecture catered and tailored to that audience. Yep. Um, and he changed his lecture that he had prepared for the Utah audience based on a conversation that he and Mike Lee had leading up to the event. And I thought it was just fascinating because then he got up on stage and I have never seen this done before. He so thoroughly explored an idea over the course of the next hour that at the end of that, um, it, 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 it was, it was it, for me, really what it did is it opened up how shallow my thinking is quite often is and how limited my perspective is based on not going deep enough and not thinking out thoroughly enough a topic that that interests me. And I think that's such a problem. How does it make you feel as a speaker? <laughs> Man, it, it, well, definitely. I, I realize there's so there's speaking on stage and then there is captivating on stage. I'm definitely not a captivator on stage. So but the there's way a he lot can, of room for improvement. Like he'll throw three to four ideas out there and you're like, yeah. how are these related? And then the last 10 minutes of lecture, he pulls a string. Pulls it all and together. And all, it's just like to be juggling that amount of ideas and because I, I know when 
just like recording videos and the, the limited speaking we've done, I have to stay very focused to be continuously going on the same idea so I don't get lost. But the yeah. fact that he's like trying to get lost and then can come back, I'm just like, oh my God. Yeah. Well, here's what we want to do for the podcast today in the discussion. I mean, I think we could do several discussions just on how Jordan Peterson's books and his philosophies have impacted our behaviors. Um, but what we want to do is we want to pull a couple of key topics. Uh, you, you've seen them now twice in, in, in this lecture series. Is that so correct, Jimmy? I've seen them once. I went, to, I went down. My brother's a huge fan. So I flew down to San Antonio and, and me and my parents and my brother went. But then he is coming to St. Louis in like three weeks. And we're going to that too. So Jimmy's bordering on fanboy because he almost well, me, Salt Lake to come with me. <laughs> yeah. And if I wasn't on spring break, I would have gone with you. Yeah. But so let me tell you a little about that fanboy. So he did a tour like this in 2017. And I think I discovered him in like 2019. But so he did like 50 tour dates and these are all on his podcast. And at the time when I was figuring them out, I was doing a ton of running. Mm. And so, I mean, I listened to all of those lectures while running and like each time I was blown away. Yeah. You know, I've tried to listen to Jordan Peterson when I'm at the gym or doing something physical. I can't do it because like I end up stopping so many times to take notes or I like it, it, his idea will stop me in mid movement and I have to just stop and be still so I can actually process what he just said. I, I cannot listen to Jordan when I'm multitasking, doing something else. It's, it's too much for me. So I have to like sit still and be ready for it. And so that's why I bought his books. I love his podcast. His podcasts are awesome. But then I walk away with more questions that I entered the podcast with. And so I'm, I'm, I'm excited to get his books and really just go deep and study it. So guys, for all of you joining us on Facebook, um, we want this to be an open conversation. So if you guys have any um, thoughts or ideas around what we talk about, please share them with us. But um, one of the things that I want to share, Jimmy, a couple of really big takeaways for me, and I think this is relevant to obviously my personal life. Uh, it's very relevant to what we do inside of Cashflow Tactics, since this is the Rise Up Live Free podcast. But one of the things that he talked about, uh, his main premise for the argument that he made on stage was do not hide things in the fog. Okay. And he spent the next hour exploring so thoroughly this concept. But, and I don't know if it was for the Utah crowd or if this is the, the way he intended to go. Um, what he directly correlated uh, do not hide things in the fog with is your personal uh, intimate relationships generally, and then backing out into all of your relationships, all, area of your, all areas of your life. But he spent a lot of time talking about why marriages so frequently and so often fail. And you know the, the main premise of his argument was, as, as human beings, we do not spend enough time even understanding what our expectations of our lives are, let alone our marriages, and when those, when those conversations come up for ourselves, we usually are too shallow with them, we're too afraid to confront them, or we're too unwilling to go deep to really get clear on what we actually want. And so we hide these unrealized, unarticulated, and undefined expectations in the fog, and then they build up over time until they blow up inside of a relationship. And he, he, he referenced so many different points that this happens in a relationship that it was mind blowing to, and I, you know, I came home with Bethany, we went on a date the next day and just started talking about some of our unvocalized and unverbalized expectations that we have of each other. And it was really fascinating to realize how, um, how sometimes the most important things of in, in our lives are the least 
articulated and the least clarified points of our lives. And I thought that was a fascinating argument. What, what are your thoughts on that, Jimmy? Yeah, so it, that is don't hide things in the fog. It's one of the rules and beyond order, right? Yeah. Yep. And it, well, I mean, in cash flow tactics, what the number one question we ask people when they first show up is what do you want? And then yeah. how many people can answer in the beginning? You know, and that, that is a very fascinating thing. I couldn't answer it <coughs> myself, but I, I bet we've asked that question well over a thousand times to thousands of people in all kinds of different walks of lives. And without fell um, with maybe, maybe I could count, I can count on one hand how many people came to the table knowing what they want. Most people only knew what they didn't want. They only knew the pain that they were experiencing. Now, while that might be a good enough motivator to get people moving, pain will only drive you so far and you can't thrive inside of pain. You can only run from pain. And so in order to thrive and get to a level of abundance and ultimately freedom, you have to get comfortable asking yourself difficult questions and clarify what you actually want and give yourself permission to want what you want unapologetically. And I think there's so many different levels just to that simple question of what do you want? Let me ask you this. In the lecture, one of my favorite quotes from, I think it's actually from Carl Jung, but it's that what you want, that what you want most, we found where you least want to look. Oh, dude, I love that. I love that. Did he, did he bring that up? If he did, it did not make my notes, but man, I love that. Cause it, what, what's like, that's such a, tr a truth. Why, why, why is that the case? So Jimmy, what are your thoughts? Well, I, it's good. It goes back throughout human history. Like why every, why in every legend, and this isn't my idea, this is Peterson's, but why in every legend is the pot of gold in the dragon's lair? Mm -hmm. So it, this isn't a modern thing. This is a, I think it's the way humans are wired that that what you want most will be found where you least want to look. Cause there's two reasons. Well, getting what you want is just as scary as not get as failing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so a lot of times you don't want to even mention it. And you know, whether it's God or karma, I mean, I think part of living is you're getting tried and tested the whole time. So it's like, Oh, you don't want to look there. Well, guess what? That's what the next trial is. Yeah. Dude, you know, one, one thing he did bring up in, in that same context that I thought was fascinating, uh, he talked about this idea of fear and fear of failing. But what he ultimately correlated that to is 99% of the time, what stops human beings isn't the actual failure. It's the fear, the fear of the feeling that comes from the potential of failure. It's just we're afraid of having a feeling that makes us uncomfortable. And because we're afraid of having that feeling, whether, you know, people make fun of us, whether we you know, have to go through bankruptcy, whether we have to you know, say we were wrong, whatever that is, most people stop in pursuit of greatness, in pursuit of what they want, because they're afraid of a feeling that could possibly come up, a feeling that's not realized, but could possibly come up. And then thinking about that fear possibly coming up causes such a level of anxiety for so many people that they're unwilling to take the next step forward. And so everything that 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 person is experiencing, what's stopping them from moving forward, what's preventing them from getting what they want, isn't actually happening. It's in their head. And that that's real enough for them to stop progression in their in their physical life. I, th I thought that was just fascinating that we're afraid of feelings. I, I I'll be dead honest with you. I don't really fear failure. I my I feel uh, I fear what other people will think after I fail. Yeah, and I'm just being dead honest. I, I'm yeah. not proud of that. It just is what it is.
but you know, once you've identified what you're afraid of, and once you've identified, this is the idea of taking things out of the fog, right? If you don't know what you're afraid of, then we build it up to be this big, scary boogie monster that we haven't looked at it. And so it's, we make it bigger than it ultimately is. But once you've identified it, once you can pull it out into the light and out of the fog and point a finger at it, you realize how petty maybe, or how small or how insignificant that fear is. And then when you do decide to confront it, it's so much easier to face and then to vanquish than it would have been had you just left it unrealized inside of the fog. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. And is that, is that, was that part of his advice is like start articulating whatever? hundred percent. So, and that's, he brought this back to relationships and I thought it was fascinating. He brought it back to setting up frames, like what is the framework? One of the questions that he asked, I just thought it was fantastic. Let me scroll down in my notes. He used the, he used the word I haven't Were used. Were you writing notes in the show or oh, did I was taking, a, Yeah, I was taking a notebook in. Oh yeah. I was, I, I couldn't stop, man. <laughs> I, I take a notebook everywhere, but like, I'm not going to see Jordan Peters without a notebook. That's awesome. Oh uh, man, I can't find the question in my notes right here, but he used the word delighted. And, and what he talked about was when you sit down with your spouse, define both ends of the spectrum, right? What would make you absolutely delighted with your, our relationship and what would cause you to feel frustrated with our relationship? And then what you have is you have this framework of expectations. Then you can bring that frame in closer and closer and closer. You know, he used, he used the, the, the topic to start off with of like sexual relations. He's like, well, what's good for you? And if we never define it, is it once every year? Well, that's probably not enough, right? Is it once every month? Is it once every week? Is it once every day? Is it once every minute? So you just bring it in until you've got a range of expectations. Maybe it's twice a week, but you don't understand that until you go all the way to one extreme and then all the way to the other extreme and you realize that's not enough, that's way too much. And then you bring it in. And so I thought it was fascinating because then with that frame, then you have a mutual set of expectations. I know what Bethany expects of me and Bethany knows what I expect of her. And then I have a framework to work within and I know how to win. I know how to meet her expectations and she knows how to meet mine. And so I thought that was a very, very clever way. And it opens up, you know, it opens up a, a framework to have more deep and meaningful conversations, A, with yourself, but B, with your, your spouse and the people that you care about. And so he talked a lot about putting expectations inside of a framework that you understand the limitations of, you know, positive and negative, and then tightening that framework up over time with questions and experimentation. Well, and then also you got to have the conversation. Yeah, you got to have the conversation. Yep. And that, that That's takes not, that like when you're newlyweds, you don't do that. <laughs> you know? It's so funny. Beth and I were talking about that after the fact, you know, how we got married. We had no, uh, we, we, we just, you're infatuated with each other. Right. And that infatuation blurries and, bl you know, blends the lines of reality and reality slowly sets in after marriage. And what happens is as reality sets in, couples never set the framework. They've never got clear on what they want and what they want together. And, you know, their uh, relationship erodes over time because they take small, seemingly insignificant things and they just put it in the fog, put it in the fog, put it in the fog until it blows up over time. So I thought it was it, super fascinating. Isn't one of the rules, I'm trying to remember, I'm gonna look it up, but one of the rules is just to have the fight. Like have with the fight. your spouse, with your, you could spend, you could spend your whole life like playing patty cake and never really just having the fight. That yep. was just like ripping a Band-Aid off. It would just get it over and make everything better. Make everything better. And, you know, I think, you know, there's, there's, and I, I don't know if it was Jordan. There's another person I've been listening to a lot lately, um, Brooke Castillo. And she said, um, you know, life is, life is a balance of good and bad. Life is a balance of happy and sad. Life is a balance of great times and hard times. And you can't have one without the other. 
Otherwise, you wouldn't appreciate either end of the spectrum. And despite how amazing your life is, it's always going to be a balance between good and bad. And so, you know, those hard times actually give you strength for the good times and they give you a set of appreciation. And so, you know, I think, again, it's just why are we're, we're so afraid to have the feeling of challenge, of hardship, of heartache, of disappointment, whatever it might be, that we refuse to take the actions in real life. And it's just a thought in our head that's holding us back from everything that we want or could experience. And it's, it's, I thought it was fascinating. Um, what, what, did he, what were the key points that he brought out in, in your lecture? So uh, the San Antonio show, it was, uh, you know, he's discussing, it was three things. It was, what are you going to do with people? How are you going to learn to live with people on the other side of the political spectrum issue? Mm -hmm. um, he brought it into, and then he tied that into marriage as well. I'm trying to remember exactly how he did it, but it's like, so, and then just the ridiculousness of cynicism, particularly cynicism around marriage, you know, that the marriage contract is this oppressive relationship where each partner is oppressing each other and just, uh, perpetuation, perpetuating the male hierarchy. Like that is so cynical. That is so ridiculous and then just to be in 2022 to be cynical is just it's so it's so ridiculous at this point mm. like you have to try hard to be a cynic do you have to ignore every good thing that ever happened and you have to somehow that's the only way you can be cynical in th this current age even though there's bad thing that still happened but if you look at the um just since 2008 alone something like 80% of Africa is now no longer living in poverty. Right. Like everything is getting so much better at such a rapid pace. It, uh, it reminded me about that book, either The Rational Optimist or Abundance. Yeah, and, and that, that is an interesting topic. And I'd be interested to know Jordan's uh, take on that because I think sometimes without stopping and like giving yourself permission to smell the roses, right? we we get comfortable and we get complacent and we all we lose sight and lose because humans are progressing at such a rapid speed that we lose sight of how far we've come we lose sight of what the progression actually is and we we stay focused on what we talk a lot about inside of cash for tactics the gap right just yep. because there has been a lot of progress there's still a gap of the ideal and where we're at right now and we we lose sight of all the progress and all the abundance and all the blessings and all the opportunity in life because we're so focused on the lack of the gap. That was well, the, the distance a, between where we're at today and the ideal. The I ideal. personally, yeah. I personally think the entire country, if not the world, politically is stuck in the gap. Yeah. You want me to pop off on this real quick? Because yeah, it's both sides. That. So, so I'm going to start hammering on conservatives. Conservatives compare today to an ideal time that supposedly happened in 1776 yeah and i've read enough history books to know that ideal time never happened mm. but everybody all the conservatives today compare today to how great things were in 1776 you want to hear how great 1776 was ryan yeah let's hear it we won a war with a smallpox epidemic going on mm. 1776 was the worst and all the founding fathers they hated each other a little bit less than they hated the British. And they then they, they decide to fight a war together. Yeah. You, Which is fascinating that, and what, what do you think? And I, I, have, I have a sense of what you're going to say with this, but I want to get your take on it. How could people who had so much disagreement unite in a cause 
that shaped the course of the world. Like there was a lot of discord among the founding fathers, but they found a common thread that they could all align on. How, how they, do people do that? They agree on the things they agreed on. Like right now today, you have to, you kind of started the podcast with this, but right now, supposedly you can only be friends with, you can only have a relationship with people who adhere to your 10 most beliefs. Mm -hmm. Like there is no room for disagreement. And I even, and like, look, there's nothing I enjoy more than aggravating sensitive people. So there's no, you know, and I personally, because Jordan Peterson said, because he talks about a negative feedback loop, mm -hmm. like the feed negative feedback loop is so hot right now. Even I, a master aggravator won't do it anymore. Cause I'm just like, it is too hot. Yeah. And so <laughs> that's interesting. A master aggravator is pulling out because it's too hot. That, that means it's overheated. Yeah. And so it's just, they agreed on the things they agreed on. And then the other things they didn't agree on, they didn't talk about. Now I'm not saying you shouldn't talk about it, but they wouldn't like Thomas Jefferson and John Adams were completely different ends of the spectrum, completely different ends of the country, but they all, they both were ardent adherents to believing in personal freedom and human liberty. And so they decided to agree on that and to work towards that. And then they, you know, they had a nasty fight about it in the election of 1804, but that was a different time. But the things they agreed on, they decided to agree with, agree on and keep moving. Well, let me ask you this, because, um, you know, I, I believe that that agreement was a fundamental, like a human principle. Right. And they agreed on a, on a truth that was that was I'd say, could, yeah, the Declaration of Independence. Bingo. Yeah. So like in order for that to happen, do we have to as a civilization, as a as a people agree to some core essential values? Like, is that what we align on as we find, hey, these are the core values of humanity and let's align on those. And then our differences above those core values can be different all across the board. But do we have to have a, a uniform underlining set of core values that, that we agree upon together? Or uh, is well, one good enough? Well, I mean, most people would argue culture is values in motion. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so to have a culture, we may need to have certain basic agreements, but I'd be, I'd say as long as, you know, the libertarian I am, I, I would say as long as I won't do violence to you and you won't do violence to me, we could live very closely to each other. I, I could I, live with that. I agree. Yep. That's and then as long as you don't try to force your ideas on me and I don't try to force mine on your, I could definitely go for that. Yeah. I mean, if you, your freedom is only free, as long as it doesn't inhibit my freedom as well. And I think that's that's a blurry line that's starting to happen right now as other people are trying to impose their will on other people. And that's not a new thing, right? That's no. been all through the, the, the beginning of time. Um, well, guys, man, so any, any other key insights that you want to share from Jordan Peterson? And I want to bring one thing back from, from yeah. my- Just the, oh, so one of my favorite, the best thing I learned in Beyond Order, or not Beyond Order in uh, Maps of Meeting is just the danger of being ideologue. Mm -hmm. And I, I would say on the, as far as like the libertarian uh, edicts, I would say I had a time where I was boarding, bordering on being an ideologue. And wow. he, he defined for me what an ideologue was. And it's someone who takes their ideas and then just all they do is go around and look for evidence to prove their ideas. Not that they look at evidence and come up with their conclusions. And that's a really interesting dichotomy there, right? Because, you know... It, 
that I found myself trapped in that very same situation. When I got out of college, um, all I like, I listened to AM talk radio and I would listen to Rush Limbaugh every single day and I would come home just furious. Like I was so riled up, so aggravated because of all the injustices in the world that violated what I then believed because it was just given to me on a silver platter that that was the yep. ideal of the world. And it wasn't until I shut that off and started challenging those ideals and actually sharing them with other people and truly listening to other people's feedbacks to challenge and test what I was starting to believe that it opened me up, right? It opened me up to realize that 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 narrow silo of belief was actually restricting my growth rather than facilitating it. Well, and then he argues in uh, Maps of Meeting, that's what causes atrocities. Yeah. Like if you look at the Bolsheviks, they had an ideology. And so the gulag was not irrational. Like you and me as a in 2022 would be like, how could they kill 80 million people in a gulag? That's so irrational. But if your fundamental axiom is incorrect, and then you adhere all honesty to an ideology that, you know, Bolshevism or Marxism and that anything is applicable as long as it promotes the communist state, like you can rationally and logically commit atrocity. Yeah. And that is fascinating. And I, I think that, again, that I mean, these these human behaviors are evident all throughout history, but they're evident right now. And we can see how people can rationalize seeming atrocities in in alignment with an idealistic cause. Right. And, you know, that's a very dangerous place to be as well, because then you remove individual liberty because your liberty is doesn't matter as it as it relates to the ideal cause. And if your liberty stands in the way of the ideal cause, you can then be we can justify eradicating you or correcting you. Let me, re let me rephrase that for you. What about your divine spark? If you yeah. don't, the, if my ideology doesn't the problem is you're willing to extinguish other human beings, divine spark in the name of your ideology. And that's what's a that. really bad. It's not just Liberty. It's the divine spark. Divine spark. Yeah. That's, that's powerful. I love that. And so, well, it, well let me tie up the gap thing. So then yeah. you got, you got the liberals who an ideal created in 1776 about how good societies could be and should be. You know, from the same document, the Declaration of Independence, it creates the ideal thing where, you know, now granted, they're they're missing the point as far as equi uh, equality of opportunity and equality of outcome. They've missed They've misunderstood that phrase, that key phrase, but they've created an ideal that has never existed as well. Conservatives believe the ideal existed in 1776. Liberals believe we've never had this ideal that was created in the Declaration of Independence. And then they're just angry and looking at the gap between where we are today and where we're at to, from that ideal. Mm. That's fascinating. I, I've been doing <laughs> yeah, a lot of sides. pondering about this, by the way. I can tell that is fascinating. That's one thing I love about you, Jimmy, is you bring such a deep sense of history to, to cash flow tactics. And, you know, I, I think history is yet again repeating itself. And we feel like everything is new because our perspective is so limited to, you know, our I'm 42 years on this planet. That's the only perspective I have. And then when I read about it in a book, yeah, I can kind of get a sense of what was going on. But even the, the what I'm reading about is probably a limited perspective of what actually happened. And so I think the human experience is such a fascinating experience. And that's why I love Jordan Peterson and understanding the psychology of human thoughts and human behavior as it relates to the principles that are inherent for all of us. Like 
a principle isn't only available to an American or to uh, a U.S. citizen or to, you know, a, a, a principle is available to everyone. Like there is universal truth. And I think the more as human beings we can understand those universal truths and align with those universal truths, the more harmony we can have with each other, right? Because we have that foundation baseline of universal truth and, and principle there. But then also the more successfully we can live our lives. Because then we can exercise our freedom and say, if I want X, Y, Z, then it's a simple matter of going back to the principle and doing the work necessary, right? Aligning with the principle to get an outcome. Um, one well, thing let I want to share. Yeah, let me put one more tap on when he came to San Antonio. His whole point is since 19, since Reagan, our, our elections have always been 4951. <laughs> so the last 30 years, right? So whichever side you're on like look the other side's not going anywhere no yeah. matter how That's much yeah like because I, I feel like the the left is like oh my gosh if we just get trump out like everybody will see the light and we'll all go left no yeah. dude it was still 49 percent, and then yeah. the conservatives are like oh if we just get rid of biden we'll all go back to normal like no dude like we have to figure out a way to live with each other totally and, you know, dude, I, I just recorded a podcast, a solo one a couple of weeks ago where I was talking about the age of inflation. And I think a lot of people on both sides of the aisle thinking, just like you said, it's going to be better win. And Republicans would never do that or Democrats, Democrats would never do that. But when it comes to excessive government spending, um, you know, President Obama added something like eight point four trillion dollars to the national debts. And we can justify that all day long. You coming out of 2008, maybe. Right. But then President Trump came in and guess what he did in four years? He added $6.4 trillion to the national debt. And we can, again, justify that. Oh, yeah, I would to. love to slam Biden and be like, inflation's all his fault. But no. Yeah. I mean, when no. COVID, we were saying COVID, next thing, guys, is inflation. Yep. Yep. So here's one thing I do want to share that was super special, Jimmy, super special. Um, I know you're a very uh, proactive and engaged father. I try to do the same thing as well. And, you know, I feel like um, I, I feel my time is of the essence with my oldest son, Doug. He's 16. Uh, you know, just before I came down to record this podcast with you, he's upstairs, you know, figuring out college courses, right? He's getting ready to register for his classes in his junior year. And he's got all these ideas of where he wants to go to college and what he wants to do. And I I'm scared to death, man. I'm scared to death of that. But at the same time, you know, I want to just give him a good enough foundation that I hope he can identify principles in life once he steps away from this home and align his actions, his beliefs, his behavior with those principles. And so long story short, um, you know, I, I decided to take my son to, to this uh, lecture by Jordan Peterson, and I thought it was fascinating. Uh, and the reason I thought it was fascinating is because you know, one of the things that Jordan talked about a lot throughout the whole two hour discussion, he talked a lot about it in the one hour just dialogue or monologue. And then he had a QA and a uh, for the last hour. And every single person that asked him a question, Jordan helped reframe the question, helping us all understand that it wasn't the right question. It wasn't deep enough and it wasn't the real thing that they were asking. And I thought, again, how powerful it is to give ourselves permission to ask ourselves bigger questions. And I know my life really started to change once I gave myself permission to ask bigger questions of what I wanted, what was possible in my life, what I was capable of, who, you know, who I could ultimately become, all of these questions that maybe don't even cross our minds. And if they don't even cross our mind, our possibilities that are unlimited then become limited simply because we're unwilling to explore the, the, 
you know, expansiveness of the human potential. And it was so fascinating to watch him go deep on so many different things and reframe people's questions and help us all understand. And when we walked out of that two hour events, my son said to me, um, I realize, I realize how shallow my thinking is, or I realize how, how limited my life is just based on, you know, the, the, my inability or my undesired to ask myself bigger questions. And I thought that was so powerful that he Dude, came awesome. with that realization. You know, because one thing we talk about in our family is my son, I feel like he's entering the decade of decisions. Okay. And I'm going to share this with you because it's been a powerful thing that Beth and I have used over the last several years. But, you know, my son's 16, right? And, and we, whether it's at, eight, at 15 or 16 or 17, who knows? But I really feel, you know, for, for most young people, the ages from about 15 to about 25, we call those the decade of decisions because the decisions that you make, either intentionally or unintentionally during that 10 years, will radically alter and shape the course of your life. Um, you know, where, where you choose to go to college. Uh, do you have a foundation of belief, of faith behind you? Who you choose to potentially marry? Do you wait to have children into marriage? I mean, all of these different ideas are now, you know, he has the ability to start experimenting with these and asking himself these questions. And whether or not he's intentional or not, can quite literally define the course of his life. And so I want to give my son and even myself the, the permission to ask ourselves bigger questions and then help him and myself understand that there are universal basic truths. And if he understands those, he has the framework for success. He just has to choose to exercise the truth in pursuit of greatness or let the truth go and deal with the consequences of that. And so it was a fascinating to be there with him. It was great to open myself up to bigger questions. And then it was, it was an amazing experience just to bond together, right? Bond together over truth, bond together over philosophy, bond together over, um, you know, just a, a bigger framework for life and human behavior. I thought it was just a, a fun overall night. So guys, our recommendations is you should follow Jordan Peterson. <laughs> Get his books, you should read them, you should study them, you should take some of the things that we talked about today and go deep on them in your own life, right? Um, come up with a framework for your own relationships. Don't leave things in the fog. Don't measure your life towards an ideal, right? Don't get stuck in the gap. Um, and guys, we take so much of these principles and our, our unique calling, our gift, our ability, our, our mission is we serve people in the game of money. And we serve people in the game of money inside of cash flow tactics. And our entire mission is to align people with principles because at the end of the day, Jimmy, money is just this social agreement. That's really all it is. Whether we represent that agreement with dollars or numbers in a bank account, money is psychology and it defines and is correlated to every area of our life. And so we just try to help remove the roadblocks as, as it relates to human psychology and money and empower people with that human agreement of money to create more value, to be empowered, to keep the money that they make and to ultimately buy their freedom, their time back using a principle-based approach to achieving financial freedom. So yeah, we do all that inside of Cash Flow Tactics, even though we're sharing this with you on the great interwebs tonight. Jimmy, any closing thoughts on, on uh, Jordan Peterson, anything we talked about tonight? I just, yeah, I'm going to bring it back to Doug and just, you know, I don't know if you know this, but, you know, letting a young man know that principles exist, you know, on the psychological level, it protects them from nihilism, which just leads to so many bad things. So, you know, I, you're not going to do it yourself, but I'm going to pat you on the back for, you know, exposing Doug to this, exposing him to things that are principles. And, you know, no matter, principles are like North Star. So no matter what happens to him as he grows up, 
he'll always have that North star you gave to him. So, you know, good you know work, what? dude. Jimmy, I appreciate that. That that is fascinating. They say that I'm I'm going to share just a personal story with that real quick, just to just to reaffirm that that statement. You know, um, I was fortunate to grow up with a father who's very principle driven. Um, um, you know, just very very insistent on there are principles, and I, I learned those from a very young age. I learned them the hard way, right? When you learn by force, sometimes you reject it. And I'm, you know, you know me. I'm I'm a kind of stubborn. You guy, know, so. you and me are only able to learn through pain. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly how I learned through pain, man. But I, I rejected all the principles, man. And um, during the de- the first part of my decade of decisions from about 15 to about 21, man, I experimented with everything that was the opposite of following a principle to lead to happiness and success. I did the exact opposite. And, you know, it took me a long time and every decision I made took me further down a pit. And I really feel like I got, had to get to the bottom of the pit before I realized there was nowhere left to go. I was either done with life or I had to work my way out of the pits. And I was so grateful when I got to the bottom of the pits, I knew exactly how to get out. And I, I, I've thanked my father for that so many times over the years, because he did give me that principle, those principles from the very beginning. I knew them. I hit them. I buried them. I hit them in the fog for a long time. But when I was ready to do something about my life, I knew exactly, exactly what to do. And uh, it didn't make it easy. It was super hard. But digging out of that pit, uh, following principles was a lot faster and a lot easier because I knew I knew what needed to be done. So thank you for sharing that, Jimmy. Yeah. Um, I, I totally believe that. So guys, this is the Rise Up Live Free podcast. Uh, if you're listening to us on Facebook, thank you for taking your time with us tonight. I hope the discussion was insightful for you. If you're listening to us on the podcast, my friends, we always could use uh, more of your support. Uh, your support is, is means a lot to us. Sharing the podcast is the best way to support us. Giving us a rating and review lets us know that we're giving you content that you value. Um, but yeah, do us the solid. Share us, uh, subscribe, listen, and uh, give us a rating and review. So my friends, join us on the next podcast where we will talk more about the principles of living a good life, especially as, as it's associated with money. Jimmy, thanks for taking the time tonight. All right. See you guys. See you, Ryan. Thank you so much for listening to the Rise Up Live Free podcast. Do you want to connect with me and other empire builders who are on a mission to take control of their financial plans and become financially free in 10 years or less? Well, then join us in our private Facebook group where we get to go deeper into the topics of financial freedom. And it's the only place you can see the actual results of people on their path to financial freedom, learn what's working, and interact as a community dedicated to becoming financially free. When you join, you'll get immediate access to exclusive training in a private membership area. This training will empower you in your path to becoming financially free, and it will fast track your results. This is the only place you get access to this exclusive content. So be sure to join us in the Facebook group now. Just go to cashflowtactics.com forward slash group or head over to Facebook and search Cashflow Tactics to join. I look forward to you joining us next time on the Rise Up Live Free podcast.